Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. I'm Frankie D. Gonzalez, the winner of last year's Risk Theater Modern Tragedy Competition, and also the playwright behind the episode you're about to experience. You're listening to Gather by the Ghost Light. Welcome back to Gather by the Ghostlight, original stories for radio theater. I'm Jonathan Cook, your host, producer, and sometimes voice actor on this thing. And this is the first episode of the new year. I hope you've all been having a marvelous 2023 so far. And today, we are kicking it off with a fun little comedy written by Texas-based playwright Frankie D. Gonzalez. Mr. Gonzalez was the winner of the 2022 Risk Theater Modern Tragedy Competition, among other awards. And I just want to say, after speaking with him, you know, regardless of all the success he's had, he is a very down-to-earth and and very humble writer and just an absolute wonderful human being. And you can listen to my interview with him after his short play that you are about to hear. This one is called The Ticket. You are about to meet Mary and Tracy. They are currently working the night shift at a call center, and on this night, they decided to put their money together to play the lottery in hopes of splitting the big jackpot if they win. Now before we begin, I do want to warn you that this episode does contain adult language and content, so please be mindful if there are children around you. Now, gather around the ghost light, sit back and enjoy. This is The Ticket, written by Frankie D. Gonzalez, and be sure to stick around after the story to hear an interview with this writer. That's right. We'll have that tech out there tomorrow. I guarantee. Yes. First thing in the morning. Don't worry. If you have the box set to automatically record, it will still record your show. Again, I am so sorry for the inconvenience. Is there anything else I can help you with? Great. And if you receive a survey... Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for calling. Yes, you have a great night. Bye-bye. Oh my god, these fucking idiots. They're all fucking idiots, Mary. If they weren't fucking idiots, we'd be out on our fucking asses. No, Tracy, this was a special kind of idiot. Hey, anyone else getting any calls? Nobody's talking to you, Gazara. I just wanted to know. You don't know nothing. Leave him alone. I was leaving him alone. He was the one who decided to bother the ever-living shit out of me. Sorry, sorry. So what happened on the call, Mary? Oh, they draw the lotto yet? They draw a 1012. It's a 1009. Thank you, Gazara. Hey, Gazara, you got the tickets? Oh, yep. One sec. Wait, wait, you let Gazara in on the pool? Get more tickets that way. But Gazara? Seriously? Hey. What's it matter? Not like we're gonna win. That's not the point. Why the fuck did you bring him in? He offered to go to the store to buy the tickets. That was your job. And I didn't want to do it. Why didn't you want to do it? Because we bought 50 tickets each, Mary. I'm not ready to get that many tickets. So I said, well, shit. And I subcontracted. Now we get more tickets. But you didn't even fucking talk it over with me. Jesus Christ, Mary. Don't fucking Jesus Christ marry me, Tracy. I increased our chances. It's a one in 292 million shot. How the hell does Gazara buy in a few dozen tickets help? It helps. Uh, hey. 
Um, what? I, I made copies of all the tickets so we could look over the results together, find out if we won faster, you know. And how are we splitting the money? Well, we put in an equal amount and bought 50 tickets each. We split it three ways. I never agreed to subcontract to Gazara. We win, I get 50%, and Tracy, you split your 50% with him. And how the fuck is that fair? You get 50% but only put up a third of the cost? Shouldn't have felt lazy and subcontracted out. Actually, we gotta split it four ways. What? Oh yeah, my wife wanted to get in on this and put her own money up to buy 50 tickets, so now we got 200 tickets. Ha! <laughs> no. No, 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 no. 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 Bullshit. Bullshit. You see that, Tracy? He's fucking wormed his way into getting 50 per fucking cent of our lotto winnings. Uh, it's not like that. She saw that I spent the money and asked me why, and, you know, but, like, I can't lie to my wife. No, I know that's bullshit, Gazara. You think you're gonna fool me with the faithful husband routine? I'm not some customer, Gazara. You're not gonna pull that shit on me. That's shady shit you're pulling. My wife and I increased our chances. It's minuscule. So what's it matter? We're not supposed to win anyway, right? I go into this shit for 50% of a jackpot, only to see that 50 become 25 because someone was too lazy and another person got greedy. Oh, that's a lot of numbers. Okay, here we go. The numbers are 6, 13, 23, 27, 69, and 5. Nice, 69. Fucking pig. All right, look through your copies. See if we got him. So what happened with the customer, Mary? Yeah, this guy's cable was down, right? And he was worried that his DVR wasn't going to record that one show uh, where the, the people dress up like animals and sing and you don't know who it is. Oh yeah, I've seen that show. What's it called? Mystery Singer or some shit. But anyway, the problem was easy to fix. Just hold the power button down on your cable box for 30 seconds. Does a reboot and it'd be working again. We worked for a whole freaking hour trying to press a button, and he couldn't do it. Finally, I had to schedule a tech to go out and do it for him tomorrow. Freaking stupid, right? <laughs> yeah. But wait, there's a show with people in animal costumes? Well, and other things, but it's usually animals. Is it good? I don't know, it kind of freaks me out. Why is that? Like, why do they gotta be dressed like animals? Why can't they hide them behind screens or doors that only show their shadow or something? <laughs> Something wrong with them being dressed like an animal? Not the singers, but you know, I heard. Now, this is just what I heard. But I heard that people get off on those animal costumes. What? Yeah, they call them fuzzies or something. Yeah, they're furries. Furries? Yeah, that's it, furries. They get together in hotel rooms or some shit and hump on each other till they get off. <laughs> that's not real. What are you talking about? Nah, seriously. And they got a name for that, like, like, like yapping or something. It's called yiffing. Right, whatever, yiffing. And like, I gotta wonder, who the hell came up with the idea of getting people to dress like the cat version of a Las Vegas showgirl to sing to audiences? Who thinks of that, unless it's some kind of fetish thing? Yeah, it, maybe it could just be an idea for a show and not some kinky shit. Like, man, Mary, your mind is in the gutter. You know what, Gazara? You seem to know a whole lot about that furry stuff. Something you want to tell the class? And hey, what are you trying to say? You've been giffing around with some kind of costume fox wearing a boa? Hey, that's out of line, Mary. Not you're out of line, you two-bit pervert talking about furries in 69. Yeah, you're the one looking at singing shows and seeing fetish shit. Now, is there something you want to unpack? <gasps> Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Tracy? Holy, 
Holy shit, Mary! What? Did we? Six, thirteen, twenty-three, twenty-seven, sixty-nine, and five. Oh my god, it's real. Oh my god, it's real. Mary! <laughs> no way! Gazaver, get that Ziploc bag out! Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it right here. And we got the multiplier! Oh shit! We're rich! We're rich! Fuck it! We'll do 25% each. I don't give a damn. That's enough money to survive the rest of my life. Oh my god! Gazara, you got the ticket? Uh, I do. I, I, I know I do. It's... Come on, you know, it's, it's, got, it's gotta be in here. Gazara? Somewhere, come on, where are you? What do you mean, it's gotta be in there? No, 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 no I'm, I'm, I'm overlooking it. I'm sure of it. Gazara? Gazara, don't! Hey, no, 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 what are you... Tracy, no! Stop choking him! Where is my money, Gazara? Where the fuck is that ticket, Gazara? I'm... I'm sorry. Sorry don't mean shit to me. Where is my ticket, Gazara? Where is my ticket? Fucking balls! I, I won! I won! Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hell? Oh my god. What? I, I must have left it in the photocopier when I was making the packets. Then that means... No, 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 no! Lotto ticket. Oh, shit. They will not take my 50%. Uh, you said you'd take 25%. That was before you fuck shit up, you fucking yiffy furry fuck. That's my fucking ticket! Tracy, what are you doing? Uh... <gasps> Wow. Oh, damn. That was The Ticket, written by Frankie D. Gonzalez. It was performed by Pepper Wren as Mary, Aralis Rivera as Tracy, and Mickey Lay as Gazara. With me now is the writer of the story you just heard. He's a playwright and TV writer of Colombian descent. His plays have been produced all around the world, and most recently... He was the top prize winner of the Risk Theater Modern Tragedy Competition, and he was also a staff writer on the fourth season of the Netflix show 13 Reasons Why. Ladies and gentlemen, Frankie Gonzalez, how are you, my friend? I'm doing all right, Jonathan. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Now, you have an amazing resume, so many accomplishments. Uh, For people out there who aren't familiar with you and your work, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey into the writing world? Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's it's uh, it's a long one. It's it's been a lifelong commitment to writing. Uh, I have wanted to be a writer since I was at least four or five years old. Um, it's it's a sad origin story, but it's it to me it's just like I wouldn't have had it any other way. My uh, dad was not the most pleasant of of drinkers, and he and my mother started getting into it one time, and so I immediately knew go hide in the closet. And my mother had left a. Uh, my uncle rather had left his Walkman at my mom's apartment and she stored it in the closet. I found it to drown it out. I just put it on and, and it was uh, the notorious B.I.G.'s ready to die. I heard it and I knew for the rest of my life, I wanted to be a writer. Um, I wanted to, I just fell in love with words. And um, since then I just had been pursuing writing. I discovered theater at the age of 16. My mother uh, yet again, she forced me into uh, theater class and the teacher, uh, my high school teacher, Allison Trapp, she uh, saw that I liked to read. She asked me if I'd ever read like real plays before. She handed me three plays after I told her, no, not really, maybe Shakespeare in English class. 
She gave me Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett, mm-hmm. uh, Six Characters in Search of an Author by Luigi Pirandello, and uh, Federico Garcia Lorca's uh, Blood Wedding. And I read them in a night. That was it. I wanted to be a playwright from then on. And so from the age of 16 until now, I've just been devoted to, to writing scripts. So that's that's kind of where I came from. Um, I came into TV a little on the later end. Um, I was nice to someone on a bus in Omaha. Uh, <laughs> and she asked if I'd ever written for TV before after asking to read my play after I was nice to her. And uh, I said, no. She said, all right, well, think about it. And next thing I knew, I was on the... Uh, I was a staff writer on 13 Reasons Why, so it was a, a serendipitous moment there with, with coming into TV writing. Uh, yeah, that's all about being in the right place at the right time. Uh. Really, honestly, it, it, it's such a this, – this, this world is so strange. The entertainment business is one of those where there really is no one true way into this thing. It's just you hope for the best. That, that's it. And you just hope that, that you're able to meet the moment when it comes – we have so few opportunities, um, and so I've always taken the the approach of, hey, if there's a chance to go somewhere, if it's Milwaukee, all right, let's see what happens in Milwaukee. And you know, my my TV career got started because I just happened to have a chance meeting on a bus with someone in Omaha, you know, Omaha, Nebraska, like of all places, you'd have thought it's New York, <laughs> LA, but no, Omaha. So yeah, just always meet the moment if the opportunity presents itself, if you can take. Uh, uh, the opportunity. Yeah, that's very, very good advice. Uh, all right, so let's talk about your play that everyone just heard. It's called The Ticket, and yeah. it's about these office workers who join in, they put in their money for a lottery pull, and it's it's freaking hilarious, and the pacing is is perfect. You have this uh, a, a new little twist on every other page, and it just keeps maintains the conflict between the characters, and it's just entertaining every minute. Uh, could you give us uh, a little bit about your process of writing this and how you came up with this idea. Yeah. Um, in terms of my writing process, I actually write in, in giant bursts. Uh, I'll go sometimes months without writing a single word. And then in like a 48 hour fever uh, dream kind of state, I'll write uh, most of a play uh, or several pages. This, this one happened in a, like a 40 minute span. Um, I used to work at a call center. Uh, I used to, I, I'm actually a veteran of 10 years uh, at the call centers, inbound, outbound calls. I've done fundraisers. I've sold phones. I was the most hated man in America for a while. <laughs> if your phone service ever went out, you called me hoping to God that I can help you, but I would try to sell you something. Those are the kind of people that uh, I worked with. And one day, all of us very distrustful salespeople decided, hey, let's start a lottery pool. It's going to be fine. Let's do this. And um, the guy who we assigned to go get the lotto tickets decided to cut his wife in and she pitched into the pool and that immediately set everyone off because everyone thought he's trying to get a bigger piece of the pie, trying to bring his wife in. Did he really bring his wife in? And so this kind of emerged out of it. And if you've ever worked the call centers, you will find that weird things happen um and weird conversations happen as a result of it and the furries thing that was in the in the play is is very much conversations that i've had with my coworkers, where it's just like no i think it's i think it's called yiffing why do you know something about that community what was what, what's going on here that you know the word yiffing what, what is yiffing uh <laughs> explain it to me and we were also very confrontational you know it's uh i know he's really passe right now but david mamet 
kind of captured it with Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, these kinds of people that are just like very cutthroat. They're in your face. They're, they just, that's the kind of world that, that I got to be a part of for a good decade of my life. And um, I just had to write about them because this, this conflict was so absurd. The, the 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 just attacking between these these two older women uh it, it, when when it actually happened these two older women attacking just this guy that he could probably just sit on them or something and he was just like I'm sorry I'm sorry guys I didn't mean I didn't think it was that bad of a deal and 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 the whole the the rest of the the team on the on the floor just like oh my god they're just getting into another argument again uh, so yeah that that's really where it came from in terms of the plays it came from an, an actual circumstance we didn't win. Of course, but we were imagining as if we we won, and and Gazzara, you know, he actually he cut his wife into the deal. <laughs> so this was actually based on a real life experience. You probably exaggerated a little bit of the details, but for the most yeah. part, this really happened, or you witnessed this anyway. Yeah, I, I, wit- I witnessed the arguments. The winning the lotto did not happen, but the argument about um, did you just make yourself get a bigger piece of the pie? That is the part that happened. The furry thing did not happen, but that was a conversation that I did have at another time with another uh, with another rep on the on the floor, um, where I just happened because playwrights look up weird things whenever uh, they're writing, and so I, I happened it. to know a little bit about furries. And um, someone was talking about this is mass singer thing, and, and has anyone seen that show? It's like, yeah, don't you think we you know those weird people that go to the, those conventions dressed up as animals? Like, is this some kind of weird fit? Fe- and, and it just became that, and so I just. I had to insert that into the into the ticket as well. It, it's yeah, awesome. So you say this is based on real life coworkers, your friends, or whatever. Um, yeah. Have have they read this script to kind of see how you portrayed them? They did. Awesome. They did read the script. Um, I actually gave it to them, um, and it it was really funny. I wrote this um, kind of when I was coming to the end of my my call center career, and I, I became a full time writer, um, and. I gave this and I was like, guys, I, I just had to write this based off of the, the just the stuff you were throwing at each other. And they read it and they were like, oh my God, I love it. Mary and Tracy were like, oh, I'm so flattered. This is wonderful. This is beautiful. Gazara, meanwhile, was just like, could you change my name? <laughs> <laughs> so Gazara was not actually, is not actually Gazara. Mary and Tracy, they're real. Uh, that's their, that's their names, their first names. Gazara, he wanted something different. And, and I always thought that, um, by giving him the last name, it kind of created an isolation point. They referred to each other by their first names. They referred to him as his la- in his last name. It's a little bit more formal than than using the first name, where it's a uh, more like a, a friendship kind of thing. So I just said, okay, yeah, I can. Let's change up your last name instead of using this. That and, and so I changed it to Gazara from his original name, which I'll I'll, I'll withhold gotcha. <laughs> uh, still, uh, out of respect for him because he it really it really I think it really he he was very much humiliated and I, I think he he didn't know he was doing wrong i don't i don't think he had any ill intent but you never know what sales people we're all we're kind of snakes in the grass so <laughs> uh, who, can, who can say yeah, has this play been performed on stage anywhere yet no um actually gather by the ghost light is the first uh ever like kind of iteration of this play period i thought that this was going to be one of those things it's at the bottom of my npx i thought no one would ever take it because it's so foul <laughs> it is so just these these are not no one's a really good person in it <laughs> and um 
and that that the original Mary and Tracy liked their portrayals was interesting to me. But um, but yeah, it, I thought it was never going to go anywhere. So when I when I received the the message that um, Gathered by the Ghost Light wanted to do this, like uh, I was I was excited because um, I finally get to see this little piece come to life. I think every playwright wants to see their piece come to life in some form or iteration. And um, what makes radio or, or audio podcasting such a beautiful thing is that um, this exists and it persists. Theater is such an ephemeral art form. Uh, once a production's done, it's done. But with radio, with with audio drama, you get to keep uh, you get to keep it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's always that echo of the memory of the of the time in which it was created. So I was very excited to receive the the message saying, "Hey, do you, do you want to do this one?" When I got it from you, and I was just very um, I was very touched, and I was I was really really happy to to see this one come to life and see my friends get finally their 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 characters um get a chance to 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 breathe well that that's cool well thanks for letting me host a premiere so everyone out there you heard it you heard it here first <laughs> all right uh and I, I hope your co-workers end up listening to this and I, i'm sure that my I, i've never heard what your co-workers sound like but i i hope that they kind of captured what uh what 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 you witnessed anyway oh for sure for sure for sure it was it, it's it's it is uh fantastic it, it, it is and they're i'm sure they'll love it one way or the other they they are just like oh look at us we made it on stage uh <laughs> even it's an audio piece look at us we, we look those are my words he used my words tracy look at that uh <laughs> i'm sure they'll they'll like it um if they still draw breath it's been a while <laughs> but uh uh, so while you're here, I want to talk about uh, one of your other plays. Uh, you recently won top prize in the Risk Theater Modern Tragedy Competition. It was your full-length play. It's called That Must Be the Interest to Heaven or the Dawn Behind the Black Hole. And yeah. Risk Theater, their guidelines, you know, what they're looking for are plays that have characters who take a substantial risk and ultimately that risk results in, you know, a tragedy. And I read this play of yours uh, earlier this week, and um, you, you know you got these four Latino boxers. They each have their own background, their own stories, their own risks that they take, and the way that you melt these four storylines together—it was just is great work. And you can definitely see the chance and the risk that each character took. And I think you captured the essence of what risk theater is looking for when they're looking for plays. And I could totally see why you won the top prize with this with this play that you wrote. Um, so uh, tell everyone about this play and your process of, of writing it. And um, you know what, what's the future for it? Do you have any productions or anything coming up with it? Right. Uh, so uh, here I, I get to put on my drama hat. Um, I'm mostly known as a, as a dramatic writer. I know the ticket is, is very much in, in the mode of comedy. Um, but drama is, is more what I'm, I'm known for as a writer, um, either in TV or, or in, in playwriting. Um, that must be the entrance to heaven, uh, is really, it's one of those things where I took the biggest pieces of my life that I have the biggest problems with, or that I struggle the most with, and I turned them into these characters. And one of the things that I meditated on when I first wanted to write this play was what is the thing that matters most to me um with one character he's trying to escape his brother's shadow his brother was this giant accomplished uh boxer who um he's always compared to and as a latino writer 
one of the biggest things that always happens to us, especially being a Colombian writer, is we're always compared to our best. Um, and they've been nothing but kind to me. They've been nothing but um, generous with their mentorship. So I don't, I don't say this in a way that I'm trying to like be mean or anything like that. But every one of my players is always going to be compared to Jose Rivera. Every one of my players is always going to be compared to like a Luis Alfaro or or Anilo Cruz. And um, being Colombian, it's going to be magic realism all day. And there's a resentment that comes with that. That's just like I'm my own person. Let me let me let me prove myself. And so that's kind of where this character of Manuel came from. With Armando, this constant need to be great and this 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 unrealized uh, ambition, um, the constant relentless uh, push toward being greater and greater. Even though he's achieved great things, um, being fueled by the fact that his father never acknowledged him, that's me and my dad. My father never acknowledged me as, as, as just, I mean, al almost as a human being, really. He, he, never, um, he never really looked at anything I did and, and saw anything worth being proud of. And I, I created this, this guy that just wanted to um, show and reach the top at any cost, at any... Um, whatever it took, he would reach. He would reach that thing and, and constantly be set back. Because an artist's life, no matter what, no matter how uh, how far you go, you get the Pulitzer, you get the Nobel. It's built on the foundation of rejection. It's built on the found foundation of failure, and that's really where this this character of Armando came from. And then um, the next one, Edgar, uh, an immigrant um, who he's trying to stay in this country uh, and get the EB one visa um after his mother passed away getting him into the country he's undocumented and um he my mother's not undocumented my mother has not passed away and I, i'm not undocumented either but one of the things that i related to the most with his character is my mother gave up everything so that i could get a chance to be an artist she gave up she was working four jobs by herself in new york um she was raising two kids by herself and she did everything she could to make sure that we could be writers. And everything that I do as I, as I pursue being an artist, as I, as I go as relentlessly as I do, um, is with the intention of making my mother proud and telling her, hey, you sacrifice your youth, you sacrifice your happiness, you sacrifice your energy, you sacrifice all these things. You gave up your life so that I could have a semblance of a life as an artist, to live the life I want to live. And um, I want you to be proud of me. I want to show you that I, I, I didn't take it for granted. And even though there's, there's moments where I, I don't want to do this thing, the, the rejection is too much. It's, it's, so, it's so terrible. I can't fail as an artist because then what did my mom give it all up for? And then um, finally, the last boxer, Juan, um, he's, a, he's a dad. He's, he's a husband. I, I am a husband. I am a father. And one of the... Worst day of my life, by far. My son was just an infant. He was maybe four or five months old. And I just lost everything on a production. I did a self-production and I lost it all. And um, he needed formula. And uh, oh, I'm going to cry. Um, we only had $14 left in my account. Uh, and formulas at the time was $40, $45. And that's the first time my wife asked me, is this theater stuff really worth it? Like, really, is it worth it? Is the, this, this is humiliating. Your son can't eat. And we're counting pennies from a jar that I had, hoping to God, praying that we're going to make it to $45 plus whatever the heck uh, other 
tax fee or whatever might come. I don't think there's any taxes on formula, but we made enough. And she went and um, I went to my son. I she while well, she went to the store angry that she's having to pay with a card and with pennies. Um, and I told him, I'm sorry, I, I failed you. Um, and Juan is this failure of a boxer who never really made it. And he's given up, um, but he's decided to do something extremely drastic in order to show his family. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep my promises to you somehow, some way. And I told my son, I'm going to keep my promise to you somehow, some way. I don't know how, um, but it was from that moment that I was able to produce the play that eventually launched out my career from that really desperate moment of only $14. And we basically went without food for like a, a few days while we were waiting for my check to come in so that we could get his formula. But these four big things in my life, the need for my father, my, my Latino identity, my need to, 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 to validate my mother. And then the pull that one has where it's like, maybe I should quit being an artist because my son shouldn't suffer just for my vanity, for my ego. My wife shouldn't suffer for me thinking that I can maybe get a, a big prize one day. I put them all, turned them into boxers and I saw, okay, so what is the most important thing in my life? And I played it out. And that's what became, that must be the entrance to heaven is I played out these four scenarios. It's like, what happens if the need to be approved by my father meets my need to be a good husband and a wife? You know, what happens when the need for being, for being my own man, for being, uh, for coming out of the shadows of the great writers of, of my heritage and my culture meet the need to, to, to show my mom that, that she, uh, that I'm fighting for her, that I'm doing this for her and that, that her sacrifice is not in vain. And I, I played it out that way with the entire play. And, um, in writing it, it was, it was a difficult process. It took about a year and a half to write. It was, um, commissioned by, um, Urbanite Theater in Sarasota. And, um, it is going to be produced there, um, this year. Uh, it's going to be going up in, uh, June, I believe June 9th until July 9th. And, uh, we're going to be going into rehearsals in May. Um, but, uh, along with winning the risk theater prize, it's, it's done very well for itself. And, uh, it's really, it's resonated with people, but where it came from, honestly, was the, it's me in four parts essentially. And me trying to figure out what is the most important thing in my life? What is the thing that, that I, 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 I can't quite get past as, as, as an individual. And I don't want to spoil the play for anyone that wants to read it, but, um, you see the decision I come to. <laughs> It's, it's, it's kind of difficult um, to, to put these four things there. Um, but I'm also a lifelong passionate boxing fan. Like I'm an, ins I'm a boxing fanatic. So there is nothing that is more dramatic, humanly speaking to me than two men who they need something desperately and they're willing to bite their way um, to get to that place. And so um, that's really where that must be the entrance uh, to having came from. Um, I'm very excited for it to go up at uh Urban Ed Theater in Sarasota. I hope it has a, a life beyond that as well. It's going to be directed by Kathleen uh, Captisunier, um, who I admire very much. Wonderful director. And the cast has not been announced yet, so I, I don't think I'll step on their toes. But it is Urban Ed Theater in Sarasota this June. Excellent. And I know the meat of the story is your characters and the the drama in their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do want to talk to you about the um the stage the set description that you've written yeah. now a lot of the scenes kind of take place in a boxing ring yeah. but then in some moments it suddenly transitions to where it says a character is surrounded by clouds or yeah. a black hole forms behind them or on stage and i think even in one scene the character is suddenly on a mountain summit uh, yeah. now as i was reading this 
you know, I was thinking, I guess it's not the only way, but the most convenient way to sort of pull off what you were asking for in the script would be some sort of projections, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, now yeah. Obviously, there's a tons of ways to stage it. Um, but when you were writing, what did you have in mind uh, for theaters that, that might stage this? Like if they came to you for your opinion on how to how to do it, what would you tell them? Right. Um, I like writing impossible plays. <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's a, a kind of... Um, kind of interesting thing and i love to see how people interpret how to create that you know um theory you speaking physically a black hole can't be seen you cannot perceive it unless you're witnessing it actually bringing in a star or matter of or, or light of some sort so you can't perceive a black hole so I'm, I'm always very interested to see what would you do if uh if a if a black hole was something you had to portray on stage but um projections is like the easiest and that's the thing that i thought of as well projection technology has become so advanced like it's it's absolutely bonkers what they're able to do with projections these days whether it's um 3d projection or even projection on the actual like on on creating like a a sort of scrim that you can uh put things uh on it it's it's one of those things that i don't know any of the lingo so sorry tech people who might be listening in my bad (laughs) um but i i i am fascinated to see what what they do or even if they put anything on there you know and you kind of have to imagine um the summit or you have to imagine these things because one of the things that i i think i i somewhat capture is is that you don't necessarily need to be um on you don't necessarily need to see a mountain in order to be on a mountain um and you can realize with with really clever lighting um and with really great sound design um you can realize the essence of a mountain without ever needing to actually put a stage picture on there um, you can be in the clouds and you can realize where am I? Um, and you with some golds or something like that, gold, golden light or something, you can capture those, those feelings. Um, so I, I, I'm always fascinated. I myself do not have the eye of a designer or, uh, the vision of a director, which is why I am a playwright. <laughs> um, and so bringing it to life would, would be for me the most difficult challenge because I just don't have that that capacity but i was told um by uh uh some really great great mentors um at the ohio playwrights conference just write it we'll figure it out <laughs> just just write it write the thing let us let us let us live in your vision and so i i, I always took, i took that to heart and i've just since then written um what i what i what i conceive in my mind and the thing is like i um am just amazed you know whether um I mean, with your audio design, of course, uh, on this, like it's, it's amazing what, what you're able to do with this podcast. Um, it's stuff that I could never think of. So um, it's just uh, when when a playwright creates something that seems impossible, I think what a playwright is really doing at that point is they're um, taking a leap of faith, um, and they're this is the sign of of trust that they give to to the team that wants to come together and produce this thing, and um, that to me is is um, a beautiful thing. And so uh, to me, the the stage directions is more, hey, you tell me how you want to pr- produce this or create it. I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to play or do, do we need to change it? Let's, let's figure out a way. Um, that's the beautiful thing about the collaborative, collaborative nature of theater. Um, when I'm dead, that's when, that's when they, they can figure out how do we get the rights to change the script? Uh, so, but until then, if I'm alive, reach out to me, let's talk, let's, let's figure this out.
Yeah, and I really like that mindset. You know, theater is collaborative because I kind of, I know there's some playwrights that just don't like it. They're like, you know, I wrote it like this. Oh, yeah. This is how I want it. And then, but me, I'm, I'm kind of like you. If a director wants to kind of collaborate and figure stuff out together, you know, I kind of love that. Or mm-hmm. even if they take it on their own and they just do their own interpretation of it. I've seen some mm-hmm. very unique interpretations of my own plays that I didn't think of when I was writing, but the way they did it, I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. So it's, a, it's definitely, I love the collaborative process of theater. Yeah, um, the best. In, and while you're here, there's another topic I want to touch on, and that yeah. would be um, script formatting. Now, I know yeah. both of us being playwrights, all the playwrights out there, we submit to submission calls and theaters, and oftentimes we see this needs to be written in standard play format, which we both know if you Google that, you'll see three different examples of what standard mm-hmm. playwriting format is. Uh, now, after reading a couple of your scripts, like, for example, your play, the That Must Be the Entrance to Heaven, you kind of wrote that in a very poetic kind of way. The margins are different than standard playwriting. Um, and I think, t- personally, I kind of like it because it adds to your voice. And uh, But then, on the other hand, you know, the ticket, that was written in a more traditional standard playwriting format. Uh, so when you go into writing a script, do you just kind of go with what you're feeling that day? Or do you have a preferred... Um, you know, formatting that you do for your writing? I, I actually love that question. Um, for for formatting, the thing is, is like when I want to capture something, I, I I go to formatting to help try to to capture that feeling. With, with that must be the interest I have in the, the, the rhythm and the cadence of it. I wanted to capture the feeling of a boxing match and everything that they're saying, the movement, the the breath and everything where, where they would place it. And even some of the punctuation, which is, um, not grammatically correct, but what I feel uh, in terms of like their breath or the flow that I want them to go in, I place the comma where where I want it to be or or, or the period. And so for me, um, I use format as a kind of way to help the actors capture the characters with comedies um, because I'm 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 much more comfortable doing that with dramas. With comedies, comedies are even more rhythmic, I think, than dramas because it's all about landing the joke. It's all about uh, getting that punchline. And if you mess with the format, um, some comic actors I found could really take that a certain kind of way, or they start trying to make something out of it that might not be there. And so um, I try not to guide them in terms of like how they should be delivering breath or uh, doing a wonky formatting that they're not really, uh, they might not vibe with, or that they're going to immediately look at it and be like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Um, so I keep it more traditional because at that point I have to trust the comic actor and their instrument with drama. I know, I, I know how I want to hear it. I know how, how I want it to be done. Comedy is so much about the actual actor themselves, the director helping the actor along that process. And so I don't want to try to tell them how to deliver a joke. That's the worst thing you can tell a comic is how to deliver a joke. That's, that's not my that's not my job with drama. I, I, I'm a little bit more like, okay, here's how I'm seeing it. And even then in the, with the collaborative process, if an actor is not feeling that rhythm, let's change it. Let's figure it out with comedy. I'm, I'm less confident. I'll, I'll be upfront and honest when I say that. So I, I keep it standard so that the, 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 I don't muddy up the comedy that the actor or the director brings to the piece. Uh, so for, Writers out there, uh, the ones who need a little push and momentum, or maybe the ones that haven't really 
aspiring writers haven't really started writing yet, what advice mm-hmm. would you have for them to get them going or to you know keep pushing them forward? The rejection is going to always be there, right? It's going to happen no matter what. I got a no yesterday. <laughs> you know, um, I would encourage that if you do want to go on a writing journey, um, write the thing that you absolutely have to write. That there is there that you cannot go on without writing that thing that you wake up thinking of that plays act two, scene three, um, and you're wondering about a certain line. Um, say the thing that you desperately need to say um, that you want to leave behind. The biggest thing for me that changed everything for my playwriting as 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 just a writer in general was I found my audience. Um, because I found out what I wanted to say and what I desperately needed to say the moment my son was born. The moment he was born, I realized I don't have stories from my father. Um, I don't know anything about him. I really don't know uh, much except for the bad memories. And whenever I tell people funny little anecdotes from my life or mistakes that I've made, they say, oh, yeah, your father did something like that when he was around that age too. Um, And that wounds me in a way, because if I'd have known, could I have avoided the mistakes that I would take back? Could I have, could I have changed the outcome of my life that I don't repeat what he did? And so when he was born, my, my little one, everything became about writing to him. And I desperately need to tell these stories to him. I desperately need to tell him about, you know, and, and that must be the entrance to heaven. I need to tell him, look, I, I regret the things that, that went down that you had to suffer through while I pursued art or yeah, um, your grandmother means that much to me, or your mommy is the most beautiful woman in the world to me. That 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 kind of stuff, or even with the ticket, this is what your dad. These are the people your dad was around. Um, everything became about writing to him, and everything became this desperate. Like I want to get as many stories out so that when our dialogue ends, because it will end, biologically speaking, it's going to end, and he can still talk with me after. And when I changed my outlook to trying to get produced to, I just want to talk to my son. All of a sudden my writing career took off. Find your audience, find the thing that you need to say that you need to leave behind that others need to look at. Even if it's hyper-personal, even if it's something that you think nobody cares about the story, it happened to me, who cares about? No, I promise you, if it makes you cry, it's gonna make someone else cry. If it makes you laugh, it's going to make someone else laugh. And when you go toward that, when you go toward that ideal, when you go toward um, that honesty, and I'm not talking about just purely political stuff. I'm not talking about trying to make the play, the important serious play. If you just tell an honest story, if you tell a story that you need to tell, I promise you someone's going to love it. I promise you someone's going to produce it. I promise you someone's going to get passionate about it. Someone will want to rep you. Someone will want to uh, bring you to semifinalist, finalist, win the whole thing, whatever it may be. That only started happening to me after my son was born and after I changed my direction. From the age of 16 until 27, I had nothing but rejections, hundreds and hundreds of rejections because I tried writing to get produced, to get on stage, to get someone to like me. I tried making Arthur Miller light. I tried making Sam Shepard copies that weren't working out. But the moment I started writing to my son, the moment I found the thing that I desperately needed to say, um, because I don't want my son to end up like me wondering 
if I'd have known this from my father, would I have repeated his mistake? And there's a chance my son won't even want it or care about it or even look at these plays and think anything about it. I just want him to have the option, the option that I didn't get to have. Um, just on that, that made my career. Um, I'm, I am not a writer if I am not a father. Um, that's when you find your why, that changes everything. Find your why. And you, I promise you the words will flow out the, 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 and, and, and everything will follow from there. And you know what, as a, as a father myself, I feel that so hard, everything you just said about, you know, leaving stories behind, you know, for your kids to kind of read. And if, if, you know, if there's some DNA in each script you write, you know, if this personal experience, whatever, that's something that Mm -hmm. they can kind of reflect on later, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, that's good stuff. Uh, So other than urbanite theater producing your play, the, this, that must be the entrance to heaven in June. uh, What else do you have coming up and where can people see one of your plays in a theater near them? So uh, I do have another uh, play with the Bishop Arts Theater Center over here in, uh, in Dallas, Texas. It's going to be going up in the autumn. Uh, it doesn't have a title yet, and it's an adaptation of um, of a Shakespeare play. Uh, I, I'll keep it under wraps because we're, we're we're keeping it a surprise with the season announcement. But it, it will be an adaptation of a shake of a Shakespeare piece, and um, it'll be happening. At, if I'm remembering correctly, it's going to be in October, um, barring you know theater stuff happening that might push it back to some other time. But that that will be coming up soon. Um, I'll also be presenting. Um, that must be the entrance to heaven over in Minneapolis uh, with the Playwright Center. And um, we're going to be hosting a reading of it there. So if anyone's in the Twin Cities at that time, I believe it is going to be open to the public. That's going to be in April, uh, right before we start rehearsals down in, uh, in Florida. I also have developed a, a new solo show uh, called Heart Stop that I'm trying to take around to different places to see if there's any kind of interest. Heart Stop is a... Um, deeply personal solo show. It's, it's the second in a trilogy of shows that I'm creating specifically for my son that seems to be relating with people. But, um, this one is about my, my battle and struggle with, uh, obesity and how I'm going to attempt to unburden myself of weight in front of the audience, every single performance and going through my life as, as someone that's, uh, that's been bigger all his life. Uh, I was, I was the fat kid, even, even from a young, young age. So, um, uh, that that's going to be a solo performance, um, and I'm hoping to to take it around. It it went to Berkeley Repertory uh, already was developed at the ground floor, and we're seeing if there's any other places. Um, it's currently uh, in competition with a few uh, submission opportunities. Outside of that, um, we're still waiting. Uh, of course, hey, produce me. Uh, you can see the ticket at Gathered by the Ghost Light. I mean, come on, uh, <laughs> you can you can you can hear it there and um outside of that though that's that's what i have on the on the theater and there's a few things happening on the um on the like film tv end that uh of course they got me on those weird ndas and they are allowed to take my first child if i say anything about them other than i'm working on a project like everyone does in la um but uh yeah that's that's currently what what uh what my what my season looks like um, at the moment. So Minneapolis uh, for a reading, Sarasota, and then um, Dallas over here in the autumn. And uh, I also am working on a on a adaptation of a Eugene O'Neill play uh, called uh, Marco Millions that I've co-written with my friend um, and and great collaborator Jeff Liu, Jeffrey Liu. He's a director dramaturg, um, and we're we're looking to 
see what we can do with this adaptation now that it's crossed into the public domain as of this year. Uh, Marco Millions uh, by, by O'Neill. Awesome. And where can people find you? What is your website? And are you active on any social media pages? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm active on Instagram. Um, you can usually find me by, by typing out my name, Frankie D. Gonzalez, F-R-A-N-K-Y, uh, and Gonzalez with a Z. You can also find it on like, uh, my, my username is Fathead Productions, so P-H-A-T-T-H-E-D-D, Productions, no spaces. On Twitter, I'm Fathead, P-H-A-T-T-H-E-D-D. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I know how to spell my own handles. Um, I'm also active on NPX, where most of my plays are up um, currently, and you can you can read them there. Feel free. Uh, you can reach me um, with the contact button on NPX on New Play Exchange. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty available all the time. And I'm on Facebook, too, for those few of us that are still using it uh, for, for communication method. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm there, Twitter, Instagram. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to TikTok. I, I just, <laughs> no, I, I can't. I can't do it. I can't. Gen Z, y'all, y'all got it. Uh, it's all you. I'm, I'm a millennial. <laughs> All right, Frankie. Well, thank you for sharing your your play with us and and you know hosting the premiere here. Keep creating, keep writing. Uh, good luck to everything you're doing, and I hope I can have you back on in the future. Absolutely, no. Thank you so much for for the opportunity and the honor of of of, of doing this play. It's, it, it means a lot. Um, and everyone, please, 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 please listen to the podcast. Uh, like it. Make comments on it. Leave reviews. Good reviews. If it's a bad review, don't leave it. Um, and, and give it all the stars. Get it, get, get, get it up there because there's so few theater resources out there. And, and what you're doing here, Jonathan, is something that um, helps not only uh, promote a playwright, but it also it raises the confidence level. And it gives us an opportunity to interact with theater in ways that we just are not able to. Um, so thank you for what you do. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. And if you are associated with a theater and you would like to produce the play you heard today on your stage, send an email to gatheredbythegostlight at gmail.com or contact the playwright directly at the social media pages he mentioned. If you would like to have some Gather by the Ghostlight merchandise, t-shirts are available at the merchandise link in the show notes. And the year one and year two books are both available on Amazon. This program is supported in part by the Greater Augusta Arts Council through a grant from its partner agency, the National Endowment for the Arts. Intro and outro music, as always, is provided by artist JK47. And if you enjoy this podcast, maybe you're a longtime listener, or maybe this is the first episode you've ever heard. Let us know. Please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to follow Gather by the Ghost Light on social media to stay up to date on new episodes. I'm Jonathan Cook, and as always, stay safe, and I'll see you next time we Gather by the Ghost Light. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.